Well, the scripture reading for this morning is very long. Uh, Normally, we stand out of reverence for God's word when we do our scripture reading. Uh, It's going to take me about eight and a half minutes to read this passage. So uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand. Of course, we stand um, as a way of physically uh, reminding ourselves of something that needs to be true in our hearts anyway. Um, So it's not about the act of standing. It's about reverence in the heart. So as I read this passage, I encourage you to have that reverence in your heart as you read it. Uh, Also, I'd encourage you to grab the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. It's on page 13. The passage that we're reading this morning starts there. Uh, It'll be on the screens as well, but uh, to have your Bible open and then to be able to kind of track with it as I refer to it throughout the course of the sermon will be helpful as well. So, scripture reading is from Genesis 18, verse 16, through the end of chapter 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place, nor spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, 
Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham 
and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the season of Lent right now. We've been making our way through Genesis 12 through 25. We've been studying uh, the life of Abraham. Uh, But since that series began, we entered into what is, um, in church tradition, considered the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a time when we pause and just reflect on the darkness of sin, just how horrible sin is. Now, every Sunday is considered not a Sunday of Lent, but a Sunday in Lent, because Sundays are a day of celebration. They're a time when we celebrate the fact that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And yet, at the same time, in Lent, but really at any time, the reality, the gravity, the darkness of sin should never be too far from our thinking. Passages like this drive that home, don't they? The text told us that the sun had risen when Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants of the valley were destroyed. The sun may have risen, but darkness was very much over the land. There are three questions that I think will help us understand this text. One comes directly from the text, and the other two flow naturally from it. The first question that we need to ask, and the text does answer for us, is this, will the judge of all the earth be just in his judgment? Will the judge of all the earth be just in his judgment? That's the first question. Second question that flows naturally from it is this, will the wicked escape his judgment? Will the wicked escape his judgment? And the third is this, will loving the world 
leave the righteous unaffected? Will loving the world leave the righteous unaffected? That's where we're headed. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we cry out for help. Lord, we recognize too much of ourselves in this passage. Lord, we know that we are desperately in need of your grace. Lord, for those who by your grace have received it and have put our trust in Jesus for our salvation, I pray that 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 would be a consolation to us, even as we are reminded of the the gravity and the ugliness of, of sin and have to count ourselves among those who, apart from your grace, are rightfully under your wrath. And yet, Lord, I also pray for those among us who may not know you, who may not be in a saving relationship with you. I pray that the gravity, the weight of this passage would rest heavy on them, that they might cry out to you for relief and find forgiveness and escape the wrath that is to come. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So first, will the judge of all the earth be just in his judgment? That's a question that Abraham asks of God in chapter 18, verse 23. Far be it from you, verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the text tells us yes in two ways, by telling us two things about God. First, the text tells us that God will spare the righteous in his judgment of the wicked. That's the point. That's what is being driven home to Abraham in chapter 18, 16 through the end of the chapter. God will spare the righteous in his judgment of the wicked. Abraham came to God and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's the first question. Abraham asked God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 found in Sodom? What if there are 45 or 40 or 30 or 20? Or 10, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham learns that the Lord will spare the righteous. Lot and his family will learn that as well. Chapter 19, verses 12 through 22, I'm not going to read it, but in that section is when the angels come, the angels who were sent by God to destroy Sodom, they come and rescue Lot and his daughters and his wife, and they say to Lot, I cannot destroy Sodom. I cannot rain out God's judgment upon this place until you are safe because the righteous will not be swept away with the wicked. God is just in his judgments. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. He will spare the righteous in his judgment of the wicked. The second thing the passage tells us that is an indicator that God is a just judge is the fact that his judgment is discerning and it's marked by a willingness to show mercy. His judgment is discerning. We saw in chapter 18 in verses 20 and 21. Take a look there with me again. God says to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. 
This is a theophany. This is a physical manifestation of the pre-incarnate God. He comes in order to, as we saw in the first part of chapter 18, reaffirm the promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they will have a son, but God is also coming to see if Sodom and Gomorrah are really as bad as what he's heard. God is not capricious in his judgment. He's not rash. He is settled in his judgment. Sin will be judged, but he will not rush to judgment. He will discern whether or not, in fact, judgment in that moment is called for. And he is willing to show mercy. He was willing to spare the whole city for the sake of the ten. Lot found that God would be merciful. We're told that the angels grabbed Lot by the wrist because God is a one who is merciful. That's in chapter 19, verse 16. The judge of all the earth will be just in his judgment. And God calls his people to keep his way of righteousness and justice. God chose to tell Abraham what he was going to do. I mean, that, that narrative in which, you know, in a sense, God is talking to himself in chapter 18, verse 16 and following. The men set out from there. They looked down to, towards Sodom. Abraham went with them to send them on their way. The Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham? He's thinking to himself. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised to him. And then he begins to speak to Abraham, verse 20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, etc. God decides it's important that Abraham know that he is a just judge who will be just in his judgment, who will not be capricious or rash. He wants Abraham to know something of his character. That he is a God who is just. The God who said to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? In the first part of chapter 18. The God who can do anything will do everything right. That's what's being driven home for Abraham here. God wants Abraham to know it. He wants his descendants after him to know it. He wants his household to know these things that are true concerning God, concerning his character, concerning what he's doing in the world. We saw that in verse 18. Abraham, the promise is that the nations will be blessed through you. I want you to know what's happening in the world around you right now. Not all will be blessed unless they repent. He wants Abraham to know as well how he and his household are to live in the world. They are to be people who pursue righteousness and justice. Not to be dissociated from the world, not to be disconnected from the world, not to have no concern for the world, but to be people who are living in the world, following in the way of righteousness and pursuing justice. Leaving judgment to God... 
God will judge in his time, but pursuing justice and living before God and others as those who are righteous, who are concerned to walk in the ways of the Lord. God wants us to know this as well. He preserved this text for us in Genesis chapter 19 and 18, and he preserved all of scripture for us to let us know that we are invited to know something about God's character with respect to his judgment on wickedness. It will be judged, but he is a righteous judge. He will be just in his judgment, and he is quick to show mercy. We need to know that about God. Our children need to know that about God. We need to know what God is doing in the world so that we can join him in what he is doing in the world now to extend the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be those who live distinctly Christian lives, lives that look different than the way of the world, lives that can only be described as holy, as set apart, as righteous, as people who are concerned ultimately with living as a reflection of a holy God in a desperately wicked world. And we need to be people consequently committed to righteousness and justice because God is a God who is infinitely concerned about justice. Will the judge of all the earth be just in his judgment? The answer is yes. Will the wicked escape his judgment? And the answer of the text is no. People have a problem with a God who judges. How can a God of love judge? How could a God of love condemn people to hell? How could a God of love demand justice? No one lives as if justice doesn't matter. No one does. I was just reading this morning an article about the retreat of Russian soldiers from a Ukrainian town just miles from the Russian border. And as they left, the, the stories of, of just horrific uh, treatment of residents and the destruction that you know, they left in their wake had begun to come out. And, and one of the stories that was told that was recorded in the paper this morning was that they had found an old man in a ditch. He had been beaten to a pulp, his teeth were knocked out, and he had been defecated upon. We don't hear that and think, oh, oh well. We hear that and we cry out for justice. We don't want the guilty to go unpunished. Someone must pay. The problem is this, none of us meet even our own standards of righteousness. None of us lives up to even our own standards of morality. You know you don't. You know you don't. You know that if you pause and think about it for a while, every single day, you do things that you feel in your heart you shouldn't do, or you fail to do things that you know should be done. Every one of us fails to live up to even our own standards of conduct. What if there is a God who exists, 
who sets the standards? What if there's a God who exists that, is, that sets the standard of what's good and what's right and what's true? You say, I don't believe in God. Well, then what is the basis for your moral outrage if you don't believe in God? Robert Jarvik, the inventor of the artificial heart, got it right when he said this, there are no, not right, right, but right in terms of that way of thinking, there are no such things as human rights. They are conventions we all agree to abide by. All we know is that we are part of nature and there is no scientific basis for thinking we are any better than all the rest of it. We have no more basic rights than viruses. If there's no God who will judge evil, then Jarvik is right. Is that what you believe? God sets the standard of good and evil. He will judge in perfect justice. The Bible tells us that Sodom is a preview of what is to come. Jesus tells us this in Luke 17, verses 28 through 30. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and following, the Apostle John has this vision of what follows the destruction that will come upon the wicked with the return of the Son of Man. The Apostle John writes this in Revelation 20, 12 and following. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The testimony of Scripture is true when the author of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How then should you respond? How should you respond to the reality of the coming coming judgment? If you are not a Christian, repent and be saved. Repent and be saved. Don't scoff at what I've just said to you in the same way that Lot's sons-in-law scoffed at what he was saying to to them. That was just as much an indictment of Lot, the fact that he had not lived a distinctly holy life, such that when he talked of God's holiness and the need to escape God's wrath, his sons-in-law said, well, he's joking around. Don't scoff at this warning from Scripture. Believe the good news. The good news is this. Jesus Christ came into the world. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Isaiah, some 700 years before that, spoke of this time, the time that we are still in now because Jesus Christ has not returned. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. Compassion. 
on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you're not a Christian, repent and be saved. If you are a Christian, pray and share the good news. Abraham was interceding in this passage. He was, on the one hand, ensuring that this God who can do anything would always do the right thing. But in the process of doing so, at the end of chapter 18, he was interceding for the whole city. Will you destroy the whole city for the sake of 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? Will all of Sodom be destroyed? Derek Kidner in his commentary on Genesis, writes this concerning Abraham's prayer. By his prayer, Abraham demonstrated his concern for the whole city, not just for his kinsmen alone. We ought to intercede that way because Scripture tells us that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. If God wants that, so too must we. We must intercede on behalf of the lost. We must pray, God save them. And we must share the good news that the wrath Every one of us deserves because no one is righteous. Every one of us are numbered among the wicked because all of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. That wrath that every single one of us deserves fell on Jesus at the cross for all who will believe. The darkness of judgment that overthrew Sodom, the darkness of judgment that will overthrow the world, that darkness fell upon Jesus at the cross when he was forsaken by his Father. Believe this and you will be saved. Believe this and all, all will be forgiven. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story titled The Capital of the World. And in the story, he tells the story of a father and his teenage son. The son had sinned against his father and in shame had run away from home. The father had searched all over Spain for his son but could not find him. Finally, in Madrid, he put an ad in the local paper and the ad said this, Paco, meet at Hotel Montana Noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And on Tuesday, the father arrived at the hotel and could not believe his eyes because 800 young men named Paco were standing there hoping that the ad was for them. The offer is for you. The God of all the universe offers to you the opportunity to have all forgiven everything if you will look to him in faith. The wicked will not escape the coming judgment. Heed the warning. Receive the welcome. Repent and believe the good news.
Third question, will love for the world leave the righteous unaffected? And the answer is no. No, we we learn that from Lot and his family. God delivered Lot and his family from Sodom. God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. Let me read verse 29 of chapter 19. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God delivered Lot, and Lot seemed to fight his deliverance every step of the way. When the angels warned of the coming destruction in verse 16, Lot lingered. Five times throughout verses 17 through 22 of chapter 19, the word escape was used, and yet there was no sense of urgency. Lot was appalled by the sin of the people in Sodom, but Lot had very much settled in. The man who once stood with Abraham on the, in the land of Canaan was now sitting in Sodom's city gate in a place of authority. God delivered Lot and his family from Sodom, but Sodom still very much remained a part of them. Lot condemned the sexual immorality all around him, but he was ready to sacrifice his daughters. Lot warned the angels of the wickedness of the people in the city, and yet he called those people his brothers. Lot's wife was, and I'm going to quote Ellen Ross from his great work on Genesis, Creation and Blessing. Ellen Ross writes this concerning Lot's wife. She was too attached to the city to follow the call of grace. And Lot's daughters were not uncomfortable with the immorality that they had been raised in. The Bible warns us about loving the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. We are to pray for people. We are to be thankful for this creation that God has given us. We are to steward it well. We are to be concerned for those who are lost. Pray for them. Share the good news with them. But the things that characterize this fallen world are not to be the things that have captured the affection of our hearts. Jesus warns us as well concerning Lot's wife. Remember her, Jesus says in Luke 17, 32 to 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. There's a warning here in Lot and his family. But there's also in a way that isn't seen here but that Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, there's a reminder that God's grace is greater than all our sin. You can imagine Lot, can't you? You can imagine Lot at some point waking up, realizing what has transpired, looking eventually across the cave at his two pregnant daughters, Thinking about where he had fallen from, I once stood with my uncle Abraham. We had entered the land of Canaan. There's a bright future ahead of us. 
and I drifted, and I drifted, and I drifted, and I drifted, and now here I am. Is there any hope? And yet Peter, remarkably, refers to Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2 twice as righteous. How can that be? Well, clearly not because of a righteousness that Lot or any one of us possesses in ourselves. This is the grace of God, the very righteousness that God requires in order to stand before him justified, such that when God looks at you and you confess your sin, he will do that which is just and forgive you your sin because his just judgment fell upon the only one who didn't deserve it, his son Jesus Christ. The only way that can be said of you is because you possess a righteousness that is not your own. By faith, you possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is only because of Christ's righteousness that anyone is saved. If it depended upon any of us, all would be lost. None would be forgiven. This text is a heavy text. It answers those three important questions, maybe leaves you with more. But those three crucial questions, will God judge justly? He will. Will the wicked escape his judgment? They will not. Will love for the world leave the righteous unaffected? It will not. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, there's hope for all who will put their hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now in prayer, feeling the weight of this passage and yet also feeling an even greater weight concerning um, the fact that all of us alike would be under your wrath were it not for your grace. We come before you now humbly and yet hopefully, trusting in the grace and the mercy that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.